Everyone loves breakfast, but have you stopped to consider? The cereal aisle hasn't changed in 60 years. Hey, it's Dustin, and you're listening to The Burleson Box. Today on the program, we welcome Emily Miller, CEO and founder of Off Limits. Emily's the author of Faden's Breakfast, the Cookbook. She's an internationally renowned authority on breakfast. Through her Breakfast Club series, she's hosted dozens of exclusive events around the world with Michelin-starred chefs. And now she's the CEO and founder of Off Limits, a defiant cereal brand here to break the rules and prove that cereal can be both fun and healthy. With offensively delicious flavors, moody mascots, exclusive toys, and thoughtful ingredients that moms would approve of. As Emily likes to say, in a world full of rules, let's do what's off limits. I'm so excited to welcome Emily on the program, but first, here's a message from our sponsor. Dr. Burleson here. You've heard that real estate should be a part of every investor's portfolio, but maybe you're unsure where to start. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, leads an investor community that has ditched the traditional Wall Street model for the stability of real estate assets. They are called Freedom Founders, and they do real estate really, really well. David's Freedom Blueprint reveals exactly how much you need to retire. Some of my top clients have done the program. They speak highly of David and his Freedom Blueprint. With the certainty of their passive real estate investments, Freedom Founders members are free to spend more time with family or even leave the practice altogether. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text DUSTIN to 972-203-6960 or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. I'm so excited to welcome Emily Miller on the show. Emily, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell us about your background. I've been talking a lot about Off Limits with our members and our list, but I want to go way back. Where where did you start and how did you get to where you are today? So lots of creative jobs (laughs) along the way that got me to where I am now, which I'm sure you can see in the brand come out quite a bit. Uh, My background is in, I went to school for fashion design. Uh, I grew up in the hospitality world, so I've always stayed really close to what's going on with restaurants and hotels and just hospitality in general. And really always seeking a way to combine my love of fashion, art, design, food, like all of the creative industries. And right after I graduated, even while I was in school, I was freelancing, interning, doing um, a bunch of things in the trend forecasting space. And that's what really brought me into editorial. So I started writing for um, WGSN, for wallpaper, for all the kind of food design and trend forecasting outlets, talking a lot about food and travel and, um, and that kind of thing. And as I was traveling and really exploring in my early 20s, I started an event series where I worked with chefs who don't normally serve breakfast, so like a Michelin star chef or like tasting menu restaurants. And they opened their doors in the morning to prepare this family style breakfast that was a one-time only thing. And we worked together to invite 30 or so of the top creative people in each city. And it just became this 
amazing moment in time where people could just talk about the creative projects that they have going on, have coffee with like all the people you've been meaning to have coffee with all at one time. And there was no ulterior motive. It really was just, well, I guess the ulterior motive for me was that I got to meet all of these really cool creative people (laughs) in each city. But the goal was really to get people to connect with, uh, with their community in like a deeper way in this like inspiring environment. So I did about 40 of those around the world, everywhere from um, Pujol with Enrique Alvera in Mexico City to Mike Solomonov um, at Zahav and and beyond. It was this really amazing experience. And that led me to getting a cookbook deal with Fightin, my publisher. I met my editor at one of the events, and that's how we kind of started our relationship over time. And they commissioned me to do their like Bible collection cookbook on breakfast, which ended up being 380 recipes from 80 countries. So it was a wild undertaking and it took three years. So um, continued my career in breakfast through that. Yeah. Fight and books are the real deal. It's a beautiful book. If you love, I love breakfast. So it's such a cool book. I just love that idea. How, I mean, what was that like? How do you get all these, uh, you know, culinary superstars, to say yes to something like that? What was that process like? I don't know if it could happen in the same way today, honestly. Um, I got a lot of no's. I think I got used to rejection really early on. Like, And the intention was real. I think there's such a creative kind of bartering system that happens. And it's really built on just genuinely understanding hospitality and like, humans and and thinking more about like what the person you're asking gets out of it versus what you get out of it. And when you come at things from that angle, I think you get a much better response. Um, I think it was just like a fun way for chefs to also take a break from what they were doing, like mindset wise and create a family style breakfast. Like when we did, I did one with, um, Fabian and Jeremiah, the chefs at Contra in New York City, when they first, like really when they first opened Contra, this was a while ago, um, they made, I'll never forget it. Like they literally just made whatever they wanted with the best ingredients possible. Um, Like Jeremiah made this amazing congee that um, he loved having. And they had like a ham and cheese plate, but with like the best ham and cheese you've ever had. And they had uh, Fabian made chiaquiles and it was just, this really wholesome moment that everyone could genuinely connect over food and just talk about all the things that were going on. And I think after I got the first few off the ground, it became a little bit known, like, I mean, in the small corner of the industry that I was in, but just that it was like an actually thoughtful event. There really was no ulterior motive at all. That's awesome. So fast forward three years, you've written the Bible of the breakfast cookbooks. <laughs> and when did ho- when did the idea for Off Limits come into your mind? Was that something you always had kind of cooking on the back burner or did this culminate after this process? Yeah, I mean, I, I've freelanced really my whole career. So I was either doing writing or these events or just I was doing styling um, and just working with like so many different people in, in the food and design world. Um, and I really wanted to be able to just own something in one place and and grow it and scale one idea and not constantly try and get 30 million kind of small ideas off the ground. Uh, Even though all those small ideas really added up to the skill set for me to do what I'm doing today. Uh, The brand 
came about really organically. I had turned in my cookbook. It came out, the cookbook launched in 2019, but there's, you know, like an eight month period where you turn it in and like you don't do anything. I felt like the event series was kind of coming to an end, just like cultural shifts in the world. And I mean, it was not we were not monetizing them. So um, I needed to actually figure out how <laughs> to make money um, in, a, in a more consistent way because the freelance writing game was a bit tough. And so I just kind of started thinking about like all the things I love and how I can, can combine food and, and art. And cereal to me is one of those products in the grocery store that carries so much culture between the mascots and the colors, toys, animation, everything. It's like everything that I love, but there was only Kellogg's or Kashi. There was no modern cereal story. And beyond just building a product, I wanted to build a world. Like what... I mean, I'm obsessed with cartoons also and um, have been my whole life. Like even when I was younger, I went to like cartooning camp instead of like soccer camp, which is so (laughs) really, really foreshadowing when you think about it now. But um, so the mascots actually came first. I was going through a lot at the time, trying to just like work through a lot of the emotions I had, figure out what kind of career I wanted, knowing that like I probably wouldn't be great you know, in a corporate setting already. Um, and that I would probably need to figure out something on my own. So these mascots just kind of came to life and each mascot represents an extremity of inhuman personality. Like Dash, for example, is like the first ever female serial mascot, which is wild. wild. And she is wearing this like, you know, 80s kind of vintage designer power suit with like cool sneakers and she's like the cool art girl curator and feels like so much pressure to succeed and do well like she's like the like the boss babe kind of mascot and feels a lot of pressure from that so she has highs and lows to that type of path that she's taking as do all the other mascots um, so that came first, and I really then started modeling my brand architecture after Sanrio. So like Hello Kitty, all of Hello Kitty's friends, you know, we start with one or two products and we can kind of build out under there, but there's more storytelling than it is about the actual like product sometimes, even though they have great stuff too. Um, and Serial felt like the perfect place to start because how lame is it that we only have access to like the same brands that we have for decades and they have not changed at all. There's no change. They've gotten worse. Like the ingredients have actually gotten worse. (laughs) They've taken out the real, the real sugar and put in high fructose corn syrup. (laughs) It's so shocking. Exactly. So there was just this major opportunity and I wanted to dive in from a creative lens and not just like, I want to dive into the CPG space. Um, and, yeah. you know, be on a similar trajectory as other people are, which works, but it wouldn't have worked for me. So yeah. <laughs> I already knew we had to take a, a more challenging path. I was just going to say, it's a very challenging path. This space has not changed ever, really, right? I mean, General Mills, Kellogg's has been, the, those are the cereal brands we grew up with. They haven't changed. They're the same kind of non-nutritive ingredients. I used to joke and say the box has more nutritive value than the cereal for, for most cereals, but yours is totally different. What was that like? First, I know also, 
I'd love to hear your story because it's such a competitive space getting products into retail, getting cereal on a shelf is such a hard thing. You've done that now in Target and Trader Joe's and so many other places. Let's start with what was that like when you started pitching this idea? Take us back to that in a in a industry that hasn't changed in 60 years. Yeah, I think what I had to do best, well, first I really mapped everything out and I think I had a conversation with a friend about this last night, actually. Um, you kind of need that ignorance, like going into a big thing, like a big new thing. If you knew how hard it was going to be, I think people would feel a lot more paralyzed to do it. Not that people wouldn't do it. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't, but like you would just become more paralyzed in the knowledge of everything. But I did know there were a lot of areas I needed to educate myself on, especially on the fundraising side, because I did not have a co-founder. I, you know, built the whole thing from the ground up. So I spent about eight months to a year. And I mean, this is a constant learning thing, but like reading every book on raising money, take like taking some HBS classes, taking other classes, like literally just going out and pitching and pitching and pitching. And this was, you know, 2019. So like pre-COVID when I was actually meeting investors in person all the time. And my entire job became like meeting these people in person. I would have like five meetings a day. And then you have to figure out when you're actually building the company. Cause it was, I didn't have the product at the time. Cereal is really difficult because it's not something you can make at home. So even with my knowledge of food and cooking, I know how cereal is made. I understand how flavors work. So I could dial in the flavors pretty quickly and understand how to work with developers on that. But at scale, it becomes a totally different recipe. So that took a really long time. Like we did like 30 plus iterations of our coffee cereal before I was like, okay, cool. Like we're getting somewhere. And even now I'm like, we could still like do better on, on all of our flavors. So it's constantly iterating on, on flavor and and fun and ingredients and and stuff. But yeah, building the brand when I did was, I don't know if it was like a blessing as far as timing goes or like a curse because we were supposed to launch in March of 2020 and obviously could not do that and had to push to, we still were able to launch in June, which was pretty spectacular. Um, it's just startup life is so many challenges when you're building a product in a category where there's only legacy brands for the most part, or, you know, like overfunded startups and, you know, natural food brands that have like been in the business for also decades, but are like a little bit newer. It's just a really, really tough space. So I kind of just went head down and I'm like, we're going to be the counterculture, like art kid, weird kid cereal. And like, I'm totally cool with owning that. Um, and we just did all the weird things that no other brand really felt comfortable doing, I guess. Like our website, even when we launched was just bananas. Like it's still <laughs> so strange, but, and I want to make it stranger. Like I wish it was truly just like a fan page. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think it's like not being afraid to make the creative choice and knowing that you could definitely be sacrificing sales in doing so. It's huge. That's such great advice, what you told your friend. And I think every entrepreneur feels that, right? If you knew, there's someone way smarter than I am, and I always misquote people, 
And actually, one of our guests one time, he's like, that's actually the incorrect quote. He's this really brainy guy. I, I misquoted Henry Ford or something. But is there Faulkner or Vonnegut or someone's like, if you knew what was going to happen, like you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning because it's just like overwhelming the amount of hurdles you're going to have to jump. And um, the guy that opened a restaurant next to us in our first practice, he was a software guy. And so he made all this money in software. And he's like, I've always wanted to open a steakhouse. My wife's from Argentina. We're going to do this restaurant. He's like, how hard could it be? <laughs> right. And so he, so he, right. Gets all, he gets all the books and reads just like you did, takes courses and goes and studies and visits. And in these books, he said they were telling me how, how hard it would be to open this restaurant. He's like, and now looking back 20 years, he's got a very successful restaurant. He said, looking back, you know, 20 years ago, he's like, those books were wrong. It was way harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Right. And so it's just such great advice. You kind of do have to go into it with a little bit of like, um, like you have to be optimistic and practical, but almost a little bit ignorant of like all the things that are going to come up and that you otherwise wouldn't have the, the guts to, to, to tackle. So, um, yeah. I love the word delusional for that, like staying completely delusional because it also when I think about that, it's helpful because even when you're building something, you there's always different levels you want to get to, you know, even with your friend's restaurant, if it's like a smash success, like they have to open another restaurant and then you're faced with like basically you're at square one or like level two in the video game where you don't die and go back to like nothing, you (laughs) die and go to level five or something like that. You have some base knowledge, but you're kind of starting over. And I never want to be doing something where I don't feel that creative challenge where you're constantly like iterating and learning off of like base knowledge that you have. But yeah, if you don't have that kind of delusional mindset of optimism and like blinders, because comparison is like truly the worst part of this whole thing because you look at all these other companies who started at the same time as you and you're like, why not this? Why not that? And you just get kind of buried in it. Um, I'm not, you know, impervious to that. Like I definitely feel that sometimes, but I try and that's why I love the mascot so much. Cause I kind of just put my delusional blinders on and like try and exist in this little world that I'm creating with these little mascots. And I, you know, if they build it, they will come kind of mentality, like the right people will find us instead of, you know, begging everybody to here we are, here we are. Like I want to attract like the right people. Yeah, it's such a fun brand, but it's so well executed. Uh, we got, I, I, I actually discovered you before we obviously heard about you through Flagstaff with uh, Craig Weiss, but you landed Wilco, right? You had Wilco's uh, and they were on Uncrate. And that's a friend friend of ours from high school, Charles Starrett and Elsie Angel, to, to name drop a few of my buddies who made that website. Um, I just love it. I was like, this is such a cool cereal. And I was like, oh, and it's like, it's it's a natural it's non-gmo it's gluten-free like it's not not, like there's no artificial flavors and colors and then i started looking at like how well executed all of it is um so i'm looking at dash and i'm like of course you partnered with chamberlain coffee like from the wildly (laughs) popular creator what was that like how how do you balance both this because you're obviously incredibly creative but also you can execute where i feel like in some businesses it's one or the other Yeah. I mean, that's the part that I love the most is really like, I mean, I'm obsessed with culture. Like I did trend forecasting my whole career. So I've, I've followed, I mean, using Emma Chamberlain as an example, like I've been following her YouTubes for a really long time. So I already knew everything 
like who she was, what her vibe was. I knew she was like Dash and this was perfect. So when she launched her coffee brand, um, immediately, I don't know if, I think they launched first um, or it was, I don't know what the exact timing was, but it was very early in their stage also that I was like, we have a coffee cereal. I screenshotted a comment because someone even said in one of her uh, Instagram posts, like this would make a great cereal. And I was like, screenshot, (laughs) sending this to her agent. And I mean, it took like eight months of like convincing them that this like new totally unheard of cereal brand is like going to do this project with them. And now, you know, obviously it's like wildly successful, of course. And they have like some amazing collaborations under their belt, but we were really the first brand to like sign a collaboration deal with them. And now that deal structure is inherently really different, but there is a major benefit in getting in early, understanding the creative landscape and like how to build partnerships in this way. Like the Wilco thing um, was also really awesome because we work with Foxtrot, the grocery store that um, brought the project to life. And they were really our first retailers. Like we've also started working with them really early on. We've maintained a great relationship with them. They have such a cool style. And we worked with their design team to help to do this box. Like they commissioned an artist and it was just like so seamless. I'm like, I always want to work with people like this. And then Wilco, like, of course it was like the trifecta of just totally creative people because on their own created like a serial jingle. So if you scan the QR code on the top of the box, there's this just like silly, wild, very them kind of jingle that goes with it. And I was just dying. And that is what gets me up every morning is <laughs> the opportunity to work with other really silly creative people who are just like out there to put their vision out into the world and like not afraid to try things. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer, remote dental monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA-compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy-onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app. The InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time, send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices. With more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com. And now, back to the program. That's awesome. It's so cool. How do you curate? What do you, what's your reading process like? What do you, I mean, there's so much to consume and you're doing it at a different level, but maybe for listeners who go like, how can I pay attention to, a little bit better to what trends are happening and how that might help me in my business? Um, It's a lot of intuition. I mean, I, I could not tell you what the trends are in in dentistry or like anything related at all. Um, and, but I, but you know, 
understanding some of my knowledge of tech in the way that I like and appreciate tech, I could probably like, we could have some kind of conversation about it. So I think it really is just about following your gut as like what you're excited about at the moment and like kind of going all in on it and just reading, watching, observing, and you just start to kind of recognize patterns and, and know what, um, know what's going to come up next. I think part of also being good at it is like not actually caring if it becomes really popular and just owning that it's something that you think is cool because everything is not gonna like hit in the way you think that it does um but like the glitter like we made cereal glitter which is an edible glitter that you can put on the cereal and I made it because I wanted to make something silly and fun to like encourage people to play with their food because everyone was like mixing the cereal flavors that we had. But really it was because I was super frustrated that like we couldn't get the two new flavors out fast enough. And I was like, I need to make something else like in this time, like we need newness, like there has to be something fun and new. And it turns out that like now the glitter is like one of our best selling products. People are using it as like edible eyeshadow and body glitter. Parents are putting it on vegetables for their kids to to eat their vegetables. Um, You can put it in drinks and coffee and anything. So now we're, you know, updating the product a bit to be off limits glitter and really marketing it as like, okay, this is just like edible glitter for anything you want, like body food, drinks, like whatever. And I love that it organically turned into that, but it was because we were somewhat fearless and like launching a really silly product that like might not have worked. And like I hand packed like the first thousand (laughs) packs of glitter because our production like was delayed and I wanted it for like our, our birthday, like the off limits birthday. It was, you know, really like startup mode. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. We've all been there. Yeah. But it was fun. Yeah our newsletter goes all over the world. And I remember the first one sitting on my floor in front of the TV, hand stuffing them and then realizing like, I, I need a machine or something to, to help with all of this totally. hand stuff, thousands of envelopes. Uh, that's crazy. That's so cool. So um, walk us through. Cause I love, I mean, my wife and I love all the cereals and now we are mixing them. I mix dash and, and spark. So we get a little strawberry uh, kind of coffee, cinnamon flavor. Um, talk about fluff and puff. My wife loves it. How how long did that take to get that launched? Um, did you start with the characters again? Because they're so cute. They're so clever. I, I did. Well, actually, actually, no. In this case, like, we were supposed to work with, like, a really big – this was a really big partnership opportunity for us. So I developed a new flavor for it. And um, it was, like, a really dramatic situation that happened. And we ended up not – doing the partnership, um, which really sucked. Cause I was like, this flavor is amazing. Like it has to exist, but it was, it's tough for us to develop something unless like we know that there's like a retailer or like someone who's going to like go nuts for it. But no, like we, I really wanted to bring this into existence and it was iterated over time to then add the marshmallows. So, like the marshmallows I've been working on separately for the past like two years, this flavor has been about 18 months, like the pancake flavor. Um, And we just weren't able to launch it like when we wanted to. So we finally were able to, and it feels so good. And I feel like it actually like, you know, the universe working out in a way that it was supposed to, because otherwise we wouldn't have had these new mascots. We, I did not think we were launching new mascots. I don't want to say never, but I don't plan on launching any new ones, but fluff and puff just came about because 
I felt like there needed to be more to the story. Like what is making these, what's making the current off limits mascots, like emotions, like go kind of up and down. So I imagine fluff and puff as like the angel devil, like sitting on your shoulder, like encouraging you to be mischievous or encouraging you to like do the right thing. And the goal is kind of finding the perfect balance of both. And it's just tough to constantly be pulled in one direction or the other. So they're in a way like the gatekeepers of uh, like the heaven and hell type, (laughs) you know, and things in the animated world as like, I picture everything in my head. Um, But even puff, like it's not bad. It's just like a little mischievous kind of like silly little monster mascot. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you watched the fairly odd parents, but I loved fairly odd parents growing up. And I really like love thinking of them as like Cosmo and Wanda. Yeah. I I love it. Tell, tell us about like the expansion of this brand. Cause it's not just cereal. You're excited about toys. I got some of the, uh, keychain toys. They're, they're brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, as far as cereal goes, we want to keep iterating on flavors. The goal is that each mascot, I mean, each mascot has like a different theme of flavor that it holds. So fluff and puff, like it's a pancake and marshmallow cereal, but the next flavor under fluff and puff it will have marshmallows. So all fluff and puff flavors will always have marshmallows, but the flavor can change over time. So um, structurally, that's how we want to build out the cereal. And then the toys, yeah, we're like doing some fun stuff. I want to build out the sachets, like the glitter and things a little bit more. Um, Toys, I love doing collaborations. I think that's going to be like a really fun part of, of everything moving forward as well as media. Like we've done a lot of really adult swim style animated content already, which is so fun. (laughs) And I want to keep kind of diving down that lane. Um, There's so many directions we can take it. I'm just kind of keeping my eyes and ears open. And I'm very much over time have learned that like, I don't want to force anything. So I know exactly what I want the brand to look like over time and have like really big ambitions for it. But I'm also not trying to like force everything towards us. I really believe in like putting it out there, trying to make something happen. If it's not quite like coming together, just like put it down. And when it circles back, that's the moment. Like that's what happened with fluff and puff and like this flavor and everything. Um, and you know, a lot of the good things that we've done. So smart that's spoken by an expert who understands trends and pop culture, right? (laughs) Can't force it. It just doesn't doesn't work. Tell us about Flagstaff. How did you meet Craig? What was that process like? Um, you know, what what did you learn and, and what could you share? Yeah, so I met Craig through one of my current investors and he was just like, you have to meet Craig. And I was like, great. So <laughs> we had a much longer call than I usually have as like an intro call with investors. And it was because him and I were just kind of like deep diving on like the operational stuff. And I just immediately trust investors who are also operators or have been operators. And he's just such a like bright, positive personality. And we immediately connected on that. And um, even now, like any intro I get from him immediately, which is how we got introduced. I'm like, okay, I immediately like trust this person. So (laughs) um, I'm from Arizona originally, and I just got to meet him in person for the first time while I was home. And 
he was like, I love making connections with people who I wouldn't normally, who wouldn't normally like get a chance to meet. And they just have to kind of figure out why I'm introducing both of them. And I was like, this is your (laughs) twisted game, but it's amazing. And, um, I, he's just made so many thoughtful connections. Yeah. It's, it's been a blast to watch. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met, but also like humble enough sometimes wickedly smart people are just kind of you know kind of jerks but he's mm-hmm. just so so nice and genuine and of course my wife discovered he has five dogs at home so now we need we need more dogs in our house is what <laughs> is what ashley's telling me so, yeah craig like, why did you tell ashley you have five dogs i'm like i thought we were good with two my Anyways, mom has, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, well she volunteers for an animal shelter called home for good in arizona yeah so yeah, we end up with, well, she has, we've collected dogs over the years, but yeah. when I was home, we had another. I love it. Um, what can you share about getting into Target? I couldn't, I can't even fathom what that was like. Um, you know, lessons learned, would you do it again? Kind of, you know, any advice you can give? Yeah. I mean, Target I made for my own reasons. Like it's, we're definitely early to go into Target for sure. Um, and I'll tell you about the deal structure in a second, but I think that it's, it's definitely tough to like, what I was really proud of the team was that we went from essentially like, you know, a few hundred doors of regular retailers to then having like a 1500 door launch with target. So we were able to deliver on that, which is awesome. So it means like our production, like we're ready for like this level up. Um, and I did target because we had a national, we could get a national footprint, like visibility wise, like otherwise, you know, we, I love our small retailers and like, I work really closely with a lot of them, but it is tough because we're not really a D2C brand. We have the option, but that's it, not really the focus. And there was nowhere that when I was having conversations with people, they just like want to try the cereal. And there was nowhere that I could tell them to go to get it. So now all I have to do is just be like, oh, we're at Target. We're at Sprouts. You know, like go check us out. Um, and Target has been awesome. It's it's tough because like, you know, we are literally being directly compared to sales of General Mills, of Kashi, like right off the bat. So the storytelling is there. And I think brands like us need to exist in Target. There are not small brands. There's no other all female founded and led teams in the cereal aisle, which is devastating to me. Um, so I, I'm really fighting for us to exist. Like, I think it's really important, but at the end of the day, like we're still a small brand, like fighting for that place. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did it for completely, you know, other reasons and target was really my dream retailer as far as like on the conventional side of things. Cool. Well, we're glad you did it as well. It's a great, yeah. uh, a great story. It's exciting to see in a large space. And I've heard really good things about target. I, uh, just from friends and the other people. Great. Yeah. And they bring on people like us. Like that's so amazing that yeah. they'll take chances on, on small brands. Yep. Yeah. What would you, what advice would you have for someone listening or maybe who has kids who want to, that are creative and want to balance this entrepreneurial world and be creative? You know, what advice do you have for someone listening? Just let them go all in on like whatever creative whims are happening. Like I fully credit, you know, my parents for embracing that and like being young and just bouncing from like one thing to another, trying to just create things and learn things. Like, I guess 
I mean, I'm think I'm trying to think of how it would work now. I guess with like social media or like procreate and like digital ways of of drawing and creating, which I think is important. Um, I think kids and like AI programs are going to be really interesting because never have you been able to just like completely type something in and have like the craziest images you know, world building wise in your head, like just kind of pop up and like you can manipulate and visualize them. Um, I'm super excited for the next generation of kids. Like Gen A is going to be the most fascinating generation yet. I'm excited too. I, I know, um, I don't know if you still do a lot of sketching on, but I always have a pen and paper nearby. Um, yeah, same. I have one next to me now. <laughs> I, think, I think Google's lead engineer still makes their new engineers like just because they're all drawing on their tablets. He's like, just get, you know, have some five by seven cards out and start to design the user experience with a felt tip pen and, uh, you know, and start to, I think, minimalize some of the ideas we can easily overdo when we, when we, when we start with digital. But um, I'm just on a tangent, but it is wild to think what, you know, with generative AI, you know, how much quicker ideas could maybe come to life or how much more collaborative they could be because I just feel like that time from idea or concept to um, getting an investor or getting a team behind it, they can just see it so much quicker. I think we were we were just doing a layout for one of our advertisers and I thought we used to like 30 years ago, you had to like send this to a typesetter. I mean, it would take weeks and like, I mean, digital prepress, like it's out the door in two days. It's unbelievable. So yeah, um, yeah just exciting. Gen, Gen A is going to be, um, is going to be wild. Um, I want to make sure we put uh, links in the show notes below. So we'll link to your um, breakfast book. We'll link to eatofflimits.com. Um, and please, everyone who's listening, go check out the brand. Go get the cereal. It's delicious. It's also a great snack and treat for they make little um, like travel boxes you can have in your waiting room for patients. It's a braces friendly snack that um, is a lot healthier uh, than the alternatives and I think a much, much cooler brand. So, um, Emily, thanks for being here. Any parting words or what's what's next? Well, I know you've been incredibly busy. What's what's on your radar uh, in the coming year? Yeah. I mean, the glitter I'm super excited about. We haven't had the glitter in retail yet. So everything is going to be super shiny in the <laughs> Offlimits world for the next few months. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for being here. It was such an honor to get to speak with you. We had a great, great time uh, learning about Offlimits and we'll make sure that all of our members uh, start to promote it uh, to their patients and to their friends and family as well. Same. Thanks for having me. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of The Burleson Box. And thanks to Emily Miller. I had such a great time speaking with her. To learn more about Off Limits, go to eatofflimits.com. And to learn about Flagstaff Ventures, visit flagstaffventures.com. If you liked today's episode, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on and share us with a friend or colleague by leaving us a review. Until next time, I can't wait to see you here again on another episode of The Burleson Box. the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement. Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. 
Go to stackspayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's stackspayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.